You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. Connect with us online at redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and in dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east end of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. My name's Quentin. I'm the pastor here at Redemption Church, Calgary South. I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be focusing this evening on the question, where is the lamb? Well, brothers and sisters and 
family of God. Uh, We welcome you here this morning, or should I say this evening? We're so used to saying that. Welcome to this day, this Good Friday that is set apart for remembering this day that, that we call Good Friday, and we ask ourselves the questions, what's good about it? And of course, the blood of Christ is what's good about it, and the forgiveness that comes from him. You know, as we gather on this Good Friday, our minds and our hearts are drawn back some 2,000 years ago to that final, brutal, bloody Friday when our our Savior, our Lord, our King, our God, our Christ was crucified upon a wooden Roman cross for the sins of the world. So as the cross of Christ stands as the fulcrum, as the center of of God's holy word. It stands as the climax. It stands as the pinnacle of God's perfect plan of redemption for sinners just like you and me. Brothers, the cross of Jesus Christ was no accident. The cross was divine appointment. The cross wasn't plan B, the cross was plan A. It wasn't a way, it was the only way. As before the very beginning of time, our loving God set his gracious heart upon each of us to redeem us from what we would become and what we would bring upon ourselves in the eating of the fruit and the sins that followed. As Aaron read here this evening, about the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, the fall of mankind. Since the very beginning, man has chosen the wrong way. Man has chosen the wrong path. Right As as Adam and Eve rebelled against the goodness and the holiness of God and the perfection and the purity of the garden, this book that we have been given reveals that mankind continued to rebel and rail against God even after the garden, to rebel against God and all of his goodness and all of his glory and all of his holiness and his splendor. Right As Adam and Eve hid from God and as they blamed each other for the sin and then as they even tried themselves in their own efforts to cover up their shame with with leaves and plants, we see God in his grace pursuing them. Right, They weren't seeking to be saved, but God sought them. He sought them out and he set them straight. And even more what we see here in just the very beginnings of God's word is that God covers their shame, right? We see him taking those, those clothes made by the leaves and he kills an animal and he covers them with skins. Friends, the truth is that in all of our shame and in all of our guilt and all of our pride and jealousy and lust and coveting, Just like Adam and Eve, you and I have no ability to hide from God. We can't hide from him. You and I have no ability to escape the searching, gracious gaze of God. You and I have no ability to cover that stain of sin. No ability of our own to root out the sin in our heart. 
No friends, redemption, salvation is a work of God and it's his work alone. And you know what? It's a work that only he can do and it's a work that he loves to do. He loves to save sinners like you and me. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I and you are the worst, right? We've been looking at this in 1 Timothy. And as we look at the book that he left us, this Bible, it reveals to us a resounding melody of his gracious character towards us. Right from Genesis right to Revelation, friends, we see a song of redemption being played. We see a plan of salvation. We, we hear a sweet melody being played from the very beginning. The music of redemption was soft and faint at first, and it was even veiled to some extent, but the notes of grace were being played. The composition of mercy was in place. As Adam and Eve's self-made coverings were like filthy rags to God, God took an animal. God took one of his precious creations, a beloved creation of his, and he kills it. Instead of killing them, he kills the animal. And then he takes off their skin and he covers them with it. And he covers their shame, teaching them from the very beginning that their sin and their shame can only be covered by God through the sacrifice of another, which ultimately points forward to the death of another, the death of the only one who could cover our shame, our guilt, and our sin. Friends, when you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the New Testament, but especially when you look at the, the Old Testament, don't think of it as merely a collection of fantastic events or frag, a fragmented collection of moral stories. You need to think of the Bible as one unified story, right? There is one author. This is one book, and it's an ongoing song of redemption from beginning to end. It's a song of the unfolding revelation of the gospel. And at the center of that ongoing song, sacrifice was the key that was playing and substitution was the notes. It started out, like I said, rather faintly. We see here in the garden. It was, it was quiet from the very beginning. But it was a melody of grace. And as you turn the pages of scripture, it grows louder and it grows clearer as you progressively open the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Which brings us on this Good Friday to even 2,000 years before Adam and Eve. To the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. It's a story about faith, yes, but more than that, it's a symphony of so much more. It's a resounding melody of grace that is both amplified and clarified even further in this story. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Before we read that and, and work through that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your Goodness and grace, we thank you that your mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, God, but your mercy is more. 
We thank you that you have gathered these loved ones here this evening. On this day that we have chosen and set aside to remember the crucifixion of our Savior. And we do pray that as we look at your word, as we look at the, uh, the narrative of Abraham and, and Isaac, that you would do a work in our hearts. That you would, uh, that your word that is, that is living and active would, would pierce our hearts. And that you would even expose us even further to the glory of your grace. And as we behold your son dying on a cross and being buried in a tomb, that you would change us even further into his image. And it's only you that can do that. And we ask your Holy Spirit to be at work this evening doing that work. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you know the story of Abraham, you, uh, you know that God specially promised to make Abraham a great nation, right? That, that the, 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 the offspring from him would be numbered as the stars in heaven. That he was promised a land, right? The promised land, the land of Canaan, which he, he already set his eyes on before when he was called out of Ur. And then he also, through the progressive revelation of God in his life, he also learned that the whole world was going to be blessed through his offspring. But the problem that Abraham and his wife Sarah faced within this promise from God was the fact that Sarah was barren. Sarah couldn't have children. Nothing reproductively was working for her. And this continued on and was the case well into their old age. So much so that they both lost hope that this would ever happen. So much so that, that even in sin, Abraham went out and had a son and named him Ishmael with his servant Hagar. Right? As Adam and Eve tried to make the way for themselves, we see Abraham repeating in that error, in that sin, making a way for himself. But friends, it wasn't the Lord's way. It's not what God promised. But as man often does, he goes his own way. And this continued on until one day when, when Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord promised him specifically that finally he is still going to have a son and he's going to have that son with his wife Sarah. And again, they were old. And this was like the most laughable promise God could have gave them, the most laughable thing they could have imagined. But the Lord promised, and friends, the Lord came through as he always does. The Lord always keeps his promises. What we see, Abraham was 99 years old when he had that promise, and his wife was old as well. But a year later, miraculously, they were provided a son, and they named their son Isaac. What does the name Isaac mean in the Hebrew? It means laughter. It was a laughable thing. Now, just imagine, if you would, you know, living 100 years before your child was born to you. Just think how excited you would be to see that little chubby baby being born. Just think how excited 
you'd be to see his little face for the first time, wondering, who does he look like? How excited it would be to to watch him grow, how overjoyed you would be to show him the world, how awesome it would be to see the promises of God coming to fruition through this son that somehow through him, the whole world is going to be blessed. Imagine him finding a wife and, and having children. Just think about how much of a miracle he was. And then as you turn the pages in chapter 22 of Genesis, you see how God's plans seem to take a drastic turn. As this blessing, this, this blessing from God is, is seemingly coming to a crashing halt. As God commands Abraham, in Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as, as, or on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you just imagine that if that was you and that was your only child? Like what in the world is going on here? What is God doing? We'd be questioning God in that. You know, why, God, would you make me wait so long and then provide so miraculously only to take it away so tragically and so suddenly? God, what are you doing? And then not only that, God, why are you asking me to do this by my own hands? Why, God? Friends, the loss of a child is horrible in any case. But to be the one who causes your child to lose his life, this is a horrifying thought. In the ancient Middle East at that time, uh, to make a burnt offering meant that you would take an animal, that you would take a knife, that you would cut the animal's throat and, and you would bleed it out. Then you would dismember the body And then you pile it up, and then you light it on fire until it's completely consumed. So this was a known practice in the land where where Abraham came from, from Ur and even in Canaan. Human sacrifice was a practice going on by the, the Canaanites in the land. So it's not like this was unfamiliar, but to Abraham, this was horrific. This was not... God's way that he knew. And none of us could even fathom what Abraham was feeling. In fact, the the text doesn't tell us what Abraham was feeling. All it tells us in verse 3 is that Abraham obeyed the Lord. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to a place of which God had told him. Right, so instead of of running and hiding from the Lord's command, as Adam and Eve did, what we see here is astounding obedience to God. We don't see him taking his son and running away, trying to hide from God. No, what we see here is obedience in the most astounding way. We see Abraham get up at the crack of dawn and he does exactly what the Lord asks. No hesitation, no questions. He goes out, he cuts the wood, he saddles his donkey, he takes two of his servants with him and of course he takes his beloved son 
to be sacrificed. And so they get on the road. And it's a three days journey to Mount Moriah. Verse four, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Friends, this was something that, that Abraham had to do and he had to do all alone. Verse six, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says to his son, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. This was it. It was finally here, just Abraham and his beloved son walking up the mountain. They've got the wood, they've got the fire, they've got the mountain, they've got God, and they've got faith. The story of Abraham and Isaac is widely known within Judaism and Christianity and even in the world as a story of faith. Right? It was, by, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed. It was by faith that Abraham would even come this far. It was by faith that he could ever bring himself to even thinking about sacrificing his son. It was about faith. And this is absolutely correct. It was about faith. Even the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament confirms this. He says in Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac... And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. By faith, Abraham believed that still, whatever the end would be. Whether his son was, was going to live or die, God was still somehow going to fulfill his promises. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So this is a massive story of faith. We see this in in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and and laid the wood in, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and, and took the knife to slaughter his son. Only true faith would lead Abraham to tie up his, his only son to a pile of wood, to pull out a knife in order to kill his son that he loved so much. But friends, as much as the story is about Abraham's faith and Abraham's obedience, so much more is this story about God's faithfulness. So much more is the story about God's redeeming hand, right? What we see here is is the Father's melody of grace being amplified and clarified in his story of redemption through Abraham and Isaac. 
As much as as it's about Abraham's faith, so much more is this story about substitution. So much more is is it about the statement from Isaac's own lips as he cries out to his father, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? The question, brothers and sisters, is, is the question that the whole answer, the whole world needs an answer to. Whether they know this story or not, whether they even heard about Jesus or not, whether they even know to ask this question or not, the question the world needs to be asking is where is the lamb? As all people are sinners, and as we all deserve exactly what Isaac was about to receive, friends, we all deserve death. We all deserve the fires of hell. Because as we heard in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us to our own way. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners who need saving. We are, as Romans 1.29 to 31 says, that we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Right? We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. We are gossips. We are slanderers. We're haters of God. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. For all the kids out there. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And if you go back to Romans 1.18, it says, because of this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Apart from a savior, apart from a redeemer, apart from a substitute, Just like that first animal that was killed to cover Adam and Eve's shame, the right question we need to be asking our Heavenly Father in our sin is, where is the lamb? Are you asking that question? Are your children asking that question? What about your neighbors and your coworkers, your friends at school? What about your lost husband or your lost wife or your wayward children? If they aren't asking that question, we're not doing our job, friends. We're not leading them to that question. And then with that question, we don't just have questions. The Bible is full of answers. And that's what we see here from from Abraham. How does he answer? He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God will provide. As Abraham believed, he knew that whatever the case, whether that even meant him killing his son and his son burning on that pile of wood, that God would ultimately even raise him from the dead. Friends, God has provided for himself the lamb. 
In verse 10, we see Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But then God intervenes. It says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Friends, the Lord provided the way. The Lord provided a substitute. The Lord provided a ram. A ram to be slaughtered and destroyed in Isaac's place so that Isaac could live, so that Isaac could be free, so that Isaac could bless the nations. This is the resounding melody of God's grace, amplified and clarified. That as much as Abraham loved his only son and offered his only son, God loved Isaac more. And at the question the world needs an answer for comes from the lips of Isaac, where is the lamb? Friends, the, where is the lamb? It's answered perfectly. It's answered sufficiently. It's answered finally and fully in God's only beloved son, Jesus Christ, crucified, sacrificed for our sin upon a bloody Roman cross. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus was Isaac's ultimate substitute. Jesus is the substitute for all who repent and believe in him. Jesus Christ is the perfect, final, spotless lamb. Isaiah 53, 5 to 7. This is like 400 years before Jesus. They're prophesying about the one to come, the lamb to come. It says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, on the Lamb, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so the question I lead, leave you with is do you know the Lamb? Do you know that the Lord has provided? Where is the lamb? On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Friends, it has been provided. It has been provided perfectly, sufficiently, and fully in Jesus Christ alone. Nailed to a cross for you. Bearing the wrath of of your sin upon his shoulders, the lamb upon the cross. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you that your book is unified. Your book is a resounding melody of your grace. We thank you that from the very beginning, the thread of the gospel, the crimson thread that, that holds this whole book together was, was being further revealed as we see it from the very beginning in the garden after the first sin, as you covered the shame of Adam and Eve, we see even further Have you have revealed it more clearly, more loudly in the picture of Abraham and his son, Isaac. Father, we are so thankful that you have revealed to us the lamb, that we, we didn't have to go to the cross, the cross that we deserve, but that you sent your son, you sent your lamb to live a perfect, righteous, spotless life for us. And that ultimately, he was killed upon that cross by the hands of men, but also he absorbed the wrath that every one of us deserve for our sin. We like sheep have all gone astray, each, each one of us to our own way. We confess that before you this evening and we remember the weight of sin that was placed upon your son as you were pleased to crush him for the salvation of your people and for the glory of your name. Don's going to read from Exodus. Be reading from Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor. Uh, nearest neighbors shall t- uh, take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall make it from the, take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight." And then, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall uh, let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn." In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned to you, and on the houses where you are, And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Let's stand together. 
You came from heaven's throne Acquainted with our sorrow To trade the debt we owe Your suffering for our freedom the Lamb of God in my place Your blood poured out my sin erased It was my death you died I am raised to life Hallelujah, the Lamb of God Upon your shoulders, the power of sin undone, the cross for my salvation, the Lamb of God in my place, your blood poured out.
by celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, together. You know, as we ask the question, where is the lamb? We remember Abraham's answer, right? The Lord will provide. And Jesus, he burst onto the scene 2,000 years ago 
at the right time, at the right place, all under the sovereign plan of God. We remember when Jesus came, John the Baptist, what did he say when he saw Jesus? He said, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This Jesus, the Christ, God in the flesh, Jesus, the only begotten, the beloved Son of God, the Savior who so passionately and perfectly lived as a spotless lamb, provided by the Father as our perfect, final, sufficient substitute. Where is the lamb? Friends, Jesus is the lamb. And this evening, as we remember his sacrifice, we remember his body given, we remember his blood spilled out for you and me and for all who repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If you know Jesus, if you know him intimately, if you are a disciple of Christ, you follow him with all of your life, the one who took your place, the one whose door or whose blood is painted upon the doors of your heart, the one who saved you from the wrath of God, we invite you to remember with us and celebrate the death and the Lamb of God. Through this Lord's Supper, tonight I'm gonna to ask you to take some time and to reflect on the goodness and the grace of God. You can take a seat. Take some time to reflect on the goodness and the grace of God and what he has provided for you through Jesus Christ. Think about your sin the sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, the wrath of God poured out on him for you. Take some time to remember. Remember what you've been saved from. Remember what you've been saved to. Take some time to examine yourself and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. As you take that time, I'm, I'm gonna read uh, some from the scriptures uh, of the Last Supper. As Jesus and his disciples celebrated the, the Passover, as we were reading about from Exodus, I'm gonna read uh, some of this, and then as you're ready, I'm gonna ask you to come up to the front. You can go around this way. You can grab your, your uh, juice and bread. Uh, by the way, there's gluten, uh, uh, safe stuff over here. Uh, but in your time, come up, come up front and, and, and grab yours, and then take yours back to your seat. And as I read some of the passion story, I want you to be re reflecting and take that time. The guys are going to play behind me. But I'm going to start in uh, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 36, when Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Then we'll go back to the Lord's Supper. But just ponder what he was going through for you as he was suffering the wrath of God for you, as he was sweating drops of blood for you. Mark 14, 32 to 36, they went out to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. When you're ready, you can come and take your, your cup and, and go be seated. Verse 35, going a little further, he fell on the ground and 
and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. From there we know that he was betrayed by a kiss. He was arrested by soldiers. He was denied by Peter. He was beaten by the Romans. He was scorned by the crowds. He was traded for a criminal. And he was ultimately nailed to a cross for you. Come and grab your and take your cup and your bread. Go ahead and uh, peel the top off. That can be challenging. (laughs) But uh, get out your little piece of bread there. So like I said, they were celebrating the Passover together. They were celebrating the Exodus, celebrating this spotless lamb that was sacrifices and the blood that was uh, painted out on the doorpost to save their firstborn. It was a celebration of salvation. And as they finished their meal, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. This bread represents the body of Jesus Christ given for you, take in remembrance of him. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Let's take the cup together in remembrance of the blood poured out for us. They brought him out into the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him mixed wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews... And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lamam sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, 
put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Where is the lamb? The Lord has provided. Let's sing. Mark 15, 40 to 47. There was also a woman looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So church, go remembering, go anticipating. Sunday is coming. You are loved. Thanks for listening. Follow us on social media to stay up to date on current events and information from Redemption Church, Calgary South. And don't forget, you are loved.